The Reminiscing in Time podcast is brought to you by the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music Centennial Committee and Office of Communications. Join the celebration online at music.indiana.edu. I'm John Christopher Porter, and this is Reminiscing in Time from the IU Jacobs School of Music. For our first episode, Chiefs of Staff, I spent some quality time with three dedicated staff members of the Jacobs School who have been instrumental in keeping our operations running so smoothly over the years. Joining me on the pod are Melissa Dixon, Executive Director of External Affairs, Customer Service Representative Teresa Price, and Jennifer Nabb, former Administrative Assistant to the Dean and Special Projects Director. Let's get started. Well, it's so good to see and hear everyone um, today on Reminiscing in Time. This is our brand new podcast celebrating the centennial of the Jacobs School of Music. Melissa, I would like to start with you. Where are you from and what first brought you to the Jacobs School of Music? I'm originally from Connecticut and I came to Bloomington back in 1993. My father's job actually brought us to town and they had this amazing school of music here in Bloomington that I quickly became affiliated with, taking voice lessons from some of the grad students here. And I pretty much had my sights set on two things. One, getting into the school of music and two, becoming a singing Hoosier. So I, uh, I was fortunate to get into the school. And then, you know, a few years after graduation, there was a position that opened here. And, you know, I guess the rest is history. I've been working in the development office ever since. The Jacobs School of Music is a huge part of my life. So you are the Executive Director of External Affairs for the Jacobs School of Music. Tell us, what does the Executive Director of External Affairs do? And what was the journey you took to arrive at your current position? So uh, I started working for the Jacobs School in 2005 in the development office. I was an assistant to the then director and um, through a series of interesting circumstances became the acting director the uh, senior director of development, the director of development, and then ultimately what is now called the uh, executive director of external affairs. And so what I was doing was working with our external audience in the donor realm to procure funds for the school, right? To develop relationships that would lead to transformative gifts for the Jacob School. That was sort of my, my big calling and my, my largest responsibility. I enjoyed that. I enjoy that so much. I love the fact that people are like puzzles and that it's up to us to figure out how their various mission pieces align with the Jacob School's various mission pieces. And it's really a delight to participate in that process. In doing so, I started to think about the other external audiences of the school. Donors are one of them, right? Prospective students are another. Our students are another, our alumni, our patrons, right? And I thought, gosh, if we could develop relationships with them uniquely, the way we do with our donor base, I wonder what kind of dialogue would facilitate. I wonder what kind of relationship we could develop with them so that they felt even more wed to what we do, what we offer, who we are, what we seek to be. 
And I talked about that at length with our Dean, Gwen Richards. And through a series of conversations came the, you know, why don't we try this? We were sort of revamping our communications office at the time. And I, I had a lot of opinions and ideas about what might transpire in that office. And we, we lumped it all together. Um, I am so fortunate that I work for a place that uh, lets us sort of run wild with our thoughts and ideas as they work to better the mission of a school. You mentioned Gwen Richards, our Dean Emeritus. Who were some of your mentors in addition to Gwen along the way and what sage advice did they impart to you? Without a doubt, Gwen Richards served as a mentor to me. Um, I'm very grateful to him and think that my business mind and my creative mind were definitely developed as a result of my interactions, my engagement with him. I owe a lot to Gwen. When I started at school, you know, my, my teacher, my voice teacher, Paul Keesgen, I'm very grateful to him for all that he did for me vocally because I kind of went into his studio with Loud and Louder and he said, boy, there's a whole other host of opportunities inside that voice. But he talked to me about the art that you create right? The art that you yourself offer to this world, how you look at it and how you have a responsibility towards that art. And that, that sort of idea, that mentality has stuck with me. Um, I feel the same way about development. I feel the same way about our communications pieces. I feel the same way really about communications in general with our external audiences. You know, what are we saying that's unique to us for that, right? How are we making a contribution? Another person that comes to mind, there are two really, two women that I worked with that um, made a huge impact on how I look at what we do day to day and, and the importance of being thoughtful and sensitive. And that's Robin Allen, who worked in the development office with, with me way back when in 2005. She, is, she, she was a member of the, devel the development office. Um, she was overseeing all the Friends of Music and their activities and doing a beautiful job at it. Um, and now she's, of course, teaching in the ballet department. She's really an extraordinarily thoughtful individual. And the care with which she would, she would prepare a mailing really left an impression on me. And she used that same level of sensitivity and care with her dialogue with her board, right? Um, and then other donors that she would engage with. And, and that really left a mark. And I try to carry that with me. Same thing can be said for Jennifer Nab, who's here with us today. So it's kind of an honor for me to be in the same field as her, as you, Jennifer. Um, Jennifer always uh, gave reason to pause, right? You don't know the answer? That's okay. We're going we're gonna to sit with it for a second, and then we're going to figure it out, right? It's okay to take a break and, and assess what's around you, and then figure out what the answer can be. It just, it left a huge impression on me, and I, and I, I cherish those twists and turns that have gotten me to this point. What aspects of your job are you most fond of and which ones do you find most challenging, Melissa? I love meeting new people. You know, my grandmother used to, because I, I used to just talk with people randomly in the grocery store when we would go grocery shopping. And I didn't think that that was a big deal. And, you know, of course, I would always get like a lesson in the car. You can't talk to strangers. And then my grandmother would always say, Melissa never meets a stranger. And it's kind of true. And, and I like that. And I like that that's something that was me when I was a kid. And that's something that's me right now. And how that, that sort of defines a portion of, of the professional realm that I've chosen. 
I, I love meeting new people. I love helping them sort of break down the pieces that are really important to them. And, you know, when they sort of realize what their personal missions are, you know, I want to support a scholarship or I'd love to help you purchase that new piano or, you know, I understand that you have a building on the horizon. What are the, are the needs within that structure? Those conversations, they're, you're really lucky to be in that sort of intimate place with them and then uh, help bring that to realization. And it's for the benefit of thousands of people that I personally will never meet. And I think it's so wonderful that these people, this, this mass of people, seek to make the world a better place for thousands of people that they'll never meet. And I get to play a tiny little part of that. I love the act of being someplace. I don't love the act of getting to someplace. I always find that to be a huge waste of time and very inconvenient. I don't like to fly. I don't want to be in a car for an extended period of time. I feel like there's too much to do in the world to have me sitting still for a prolonged period of time. So I, that makes me a little bit anxious. <laughs> I'd like to turn now to Jennifer Nab, former administrative assistant to the Dean and special projects director. Jennifer, how did you come to work at Jacobs? Were you an IU employee before joining the office of the Dean? I was not. Um, I had been working at First United Methodist Church um, as the director of their Parents' Day Out program for a number of years, and actually had the great pleasure of working with Barbara Richards, Gwen Richards' mm. wife. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gwen had recently been named interim dean, and I was leaving my position. And um, Barbara kind of approached me and, and said, is that anything that you would consider? So um, I thought about it, and I went in and talked with Gwen, and that's how it started. It was funny, because when I first started, I thought I wanted to work part-time. Well, that lasted a week. And then we went on for 20 years. So um, it was, that's how it all began. Do you yourself have any music background whatsoever, singer, player? Um, I played the piano for a number of years. Um, mm -hmm. And I grew up in a household where music was really important. My father was a huge opera fan. So mm -hmm. lots of music all the time. I also sang in choirs all through high mm -hmm. school and some in college. So, so yes, I did have a little bit, nothing, nothing that would ever prepare me for the Jacob School of Music, but um, I, I did have a great appreciation of music. When you look back now, over 20 years, what was the most alluring about working for a school of music, and did it ultimately deliver? Absolutely. Um, I think it was just getting to be immersed in uh, the School of Music, getting to know the people, the faculty, staff, and students. And that was what was so beautiful about my position is I got to know everybody. Mm -hmm. I got to know people as they came into the school, as new faculty members and students, and then probably the best staff ever assembled at a school. Mm -hmm. So it was just really fun. It was always new. Every day brought new challenges. And I just enjoy, I really can say that I love my job. I, I just loved every day. So it was a great, great position. Well, and you carried it out so beautifully. And uh, everyone had so much trust and faith in you. And we always look to you for advice. So we do miss you, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's very <laughs> kind. I'd, like I said, it, it was a lot of fun. 
Being an administrative assistant is so much more than just the title implies. What qualities did you enter your position with and which ones may have been learned on the job in the moment? I think my best quality was that I had had several different positions and I think I'm fairly even keeled. And that's probably the most important thing when you're working in that kind of position. You just never knew what was going to come up. We kind of had a philosophy in our office that you never really said no. You know, you always tried to find a solution. And I think that's what made us so, I think, successful. You know, just giving people the chance to be heard and then um, pursuing whatever you needed to do. You know, I didn't always have the answer. There was a lot of times that I didn't. We took the time to find the answer for people. And I think that was really important. I can attest to that. You know, I remember calling you sometimes in the heat of a moment, wanting to know an answer. um, And you would always promise if you didn't know it, you would find out and you would always call me or email me back just as quickly as possible. And, uh, and when I mentioned having faith in someone like you, you especially, uh, I think that's where that comes from, you know, always counting on you to uh, stick to your word. So that's a, a very unique quality. Thank you. Thank you. And I think, too, the other thing that we always tried to do is everybody jumped in. There was never a job that was that we shouldn't have done as much as Mm -hmm. anybody else. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that that was important, too. Now being in this chapter of your life as being retired, enjoying your family. What do you miss most about working at the Jacobs School? And what are some of the greatest joys now in this chapter of your life? I think one of the things I miss the most is the routine. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's very different. And then one of the things I like the most is I don't have a routine. You know, I'm <laughs> very flexible in my day. And, and that's kind of fun. I think the thing I miss the most, though, are the people. I just can't emphasize enough what an amazing group of people are at the Jacobs School of Music. It really is just the greatest group. So I do miss that and miss people just stopping by. You know, we had a very open office and it was great just to see people and get to know people. And so I think that's the thing I miss the most. Thank you, Jennifer. Teresa. Teresa Price, customer service representative, again, a position, a title that does not do the job justice. Like many of us, you have worn several hats at the Jacobs School of Music over the years. Tell us where you started and how you got to this point in your career. Thank you, John, and nice seeing you, Melissa, especially you, Jen. I've missed you so much. Royce hired me about 15 years ago. He started me out doing, yeah, Royce Decker. He, I started out in purchasing, doing inventory. And if you can remember the old analog phone lines that we, phones that we used to have, every time we had a faculty move, we actually had to make a request, submit it, and actually physically move it. So that's where I started at. Then through the years, um, I got added on, you know, you know, people would leave and then they say, oh, okay, we're going to add payroll. So I wore a payroll hat for about mm-hmm. a year, year and a half. Then I wore an accounts receivable hat for a while. Um, and then 
Uh, I got been about 10 years in the business office. I wanted to do a new hat. And I did about five years in the mailroom. <laughs> so I wore that hat. Then as COVID and everything processed, um, I decided to wear a new hat, which is now currently the customer service representative for the Jacobs lockers and keys. So that's about where it started. And this is where I'm at. You know, I was going to ask you what your typical day looks like, but from everything I'm hearing, you don't have a typical day. I do not. I actually start out and I literally do. I have a calendar or a day planner saying, okay, this is what I need to do. And regardless of what position I held, I was never really able to stick to it because mm-hmm. it kept it kept changing um, more so in the mailroom and in here because like Jennifer said, you know, every day was a brand new day. Every day brought a brand new challenge. You know, you're in the buildings and all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off, you know, a flood, something. So you could try planning, but, you know, you just float with it and you hit your priorities where you need to hit your priorities. For sure. You mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic a moment ago. Like most staff members here at Jacobs during that time when we were all shut down, we were suddenly faced with working in multiple areas to keep the operations of the school moving efficiently. How does one prioritize tasks and thrive in such an evolutionary work environment in a time of crisis? That was a learning process. Mm -hmm. Obviously, nobody was ever planning a shutdown. I mean, we went on spring break next week. Bam, we're, Mm -hmm. we're shutting down. I was classified as essential along with um, the full uh, facility team. At that time, it was Pete, Christina, and Denver. And so the four of us, we met, we talked every day constantly on what we were going to do. First, it was trying to get cleaning supplies in just for us alone. You know, how were we going to get the mail in? We would bring the packages in. I would wipe them off, every single one of them. And then Mm. it would go from there. Then you would have your surprise ones (laughs) where you would get 36 trombones from 100 Hall. All of a sudden, they're banging (laughs) on your door and you're going like, what the heck? And then, then, you know, as you got your cleaning routine, you know, you not only cleaned your office 20 times a day, but Denver, Christina, Pete, and I, we were cleaning class lounge, the hallways, the areas Mm. that we were in all the time, we were cleaning them down. We were even cleaning our own bathrooms, Uh you know, in our offices, you know, in our areas, because we just couldn't chance it. Then came, as time went by, uh, and we knew we were going to opening up, then the panic, at least for me, it was trying to get in uh, PPE supplies, the cleaning supplies, the paper towels, the gloves. I knew it was a huge struggle just to get what I needed just for us, for a little small group. But now you're talking an entire Jacobs. And honestly, I was overwhelmed because I'm like, I have got to protect everybody, the students, the faculty, the staff members, all my friends. You know, how in the world am I going to do that one? Well, Mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, IU purchasing, they came through. Um, big time. So then it just came down to ordering what we need. 
and uh, getting it in for all the various departments, the practice rooms, the individual offices and stuff. And the first load that we got, and I took pictures of, I think everybody saw it on Facebook because it came in skids, big skids. We uh-huh. filled up the Merrill Hall loading dock and we, Andy Stout, Phyllis and our custodian, Ricky, they all helped me, but they brought it in and you see this all in Klaus Lounge and I'm going, nobody's going to ever believe seeing this. So I took <laughs> pictures of it and all of this, and I didn't realize Gwen was in the off, was in the building. Mm-hmm. He came and saw, he was hearing noises. He came up, saw the, everything in Klaus Lounge. He saw it and he looked at me, looked at it again, turned around and left. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he was just going like i don't want no part of it you know oh. but he but he was a gym he did say if you need help moving boxes i'll help i'm like we got it he was always the first person to offer help never too important to get his hands dirty and and help when he could oh i know it working with gwen i mean now that he's a faculty member you know it, it's a true gym he yeah. transitioned so beautifully from mm-hmm. dean to instructor. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. You'd be very proud of him, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa, you mentioned a couple of times our beloved Denver Reitzman. And I was going to save this until a little later in our conversation, but I would like to share it now. I originally wanted Denver to be on this episode because in many ways he was the other half of our heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He oversaw the facilities operations for over 15 years. And in true demure Denver fashion, he uh, declined the invitation, but he did send me this email. Good morning, John. I was just doing my job for the past 17 years, as was everyone at the time. Thank you for thinking of me, but the staff and faculty that are still working are the true success stories, and the focus should be about them. Teresa is a prime example of what you were looking for in your podcast. Very few people realize how important her contributions have been to the school. Good luck in your endeavor. Respectfully, Denver. (laughs) And we all know that sign off for 15 plus years, respectfully, Denver. And he had nothing but respect for his colleagues and the people that he worked with, the students, everyone here at the school. So, uh, Teresa, I thought you would appreciate that very much. Yeah. I miss Denver a lot. I worked with him hand in hand for about 15 years. I learned so much from him. In fact, that's what drove me to work with the keys in the lockers is because I kept thinking, you know, I knew keys and lockers were going to be the hugest task ever I could have taken on, especially since there was like a, a gap between June and late July. But my heart went out to him, and I couldn't see having somebody, you know, coming into this position who was not Jacobs, who was not familiar with our school, not familiar with our students, our staff members, our faculty members, you know, um, and trying to weed through it. And so I'm just going like, I'm going to do it. This is what they need. And Mm -hmm. this is what, this is another gap I'm just going to fill in. Well, you do everything so well. And and I I couldn't agree more with Denver's sentiments. We, we truly appreciate you here. And we're, we're glad that you're in this new role 
and you know, so flexible and willing to do anything to make the school successful. Thank you. My next uh, thoughts, questions, topics of conversation, I think I would like to just pose to whoever would like to answer. If you feel inspired to jump in, please do. Working here, we've encountered many talented, often world-renowned individuals. Who are some of your favorite people you've worked with over the years, either regarding day-to-day business or major projects and why? I'll jump in. I have a little story. Um, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and there was always a traveling group um, that came through called the Kenley Players, and I saw Man of La Mancha when I was, I don't know, in elementary school, and it just was an amazing, amazing production. So years later, as I'm working at the Jacobs School of Music, I found the program from that and never realized until I saw it that Giorgio Tazzi was in that production. Mm. And I have to say, he was an amazing person and and so sweet and so kind. So he's one that certainly stands out in my mind. And it was just so strange seeing that program and not realizing until then that I had seen him many, many years before. But he is definitely was one of my favorites. The first time I met David Baker, I was a student. And then I got to work with him later, right? Like on various development projects and communications projects. The first time I met him, it was raining. I think I was running late for class and I was running into Merrill Hall, the west doors of Merrill Hall. And David Baker just so happened to be coming out right at that moment. And he pushed the doors open and saw me running in and kind of twirled around the door and held it open for me. And like, how are you today? I was completely tongue-tied. Same thing with Janusz Starker, such a remarkable human being. And you think about his story and all the things that he overcame so that he could play the cello for thousands of people that he'll never meet. Hard to pick just one. It's really all such a pleasure. We've experienced many milestones over the years. You know, I've been looking through the centennial book booklet that um, Dr. Burkholder supervised um, and looking at our timeline on our website, which by the way, you should all visit music.indiana.edu to take a look at our centennial celebration timeline. We've hit so many milestones and we've seen so many wonderful evolutionary things in our time at the Jacobs School. What are some of the most significant ones that you've witnessed as a staff member? Maybe Teresa would like to lead this off. For me, it was when we got our hall. Uh, I got in here when they were still in the meeting process and everything else in the business office where my office was at. We had we had the conference room right between us and you could hear the chatter in between. And then it was nice for me to uh, see the purchases that I've made into our hall and watch them actually come alive. One of my favorites is the IU Singing Hoosiers. They are very dear to my heart. You you know, you get to know Steve Zagree and then Lee Wilder and mm-hmm. now we have Chris Albany. And you see the music, the music that I would print all the time for them or the costumes I would order, the jewelry and stuff. 
And then I was allowed to, um, because of my schedules, wouldn't allow for my personal life and stuff. I would, I was allowed to go to the dress rehearsals. Yeah. And it was actually nice because Steve Segree asked me at one point, said, okay, I want you to come, Teresa, and I want you to critique us. <laughs> and I'm going, he did. And I'm going, oh. okay. So I went and I watched the whole entire show. I left there in tears. I was in so much awe to see everything, the music, the costume, their performance, everything just tied up in a nice, pretty, fantastic red ribbon. And I ended up emailing them, um, Steve, and I copied, I think, Lee at the time on it. And I ended up with probably a three-page email if you printed it out because oh I goodness. just said... The, the way that they did the performances, their music, everything, you know, that was actually my first singing Hoosiers performance I actually went to. Mm-hmm. And now I understand why everybody is so in love with them. You see the smiles on their faces. You know, you really see how much they enjoy being a singing Hoosiers, which I do believe our Melissa is a former singing Hoosier. You bet. I am. So, <laughs> so I understand what Melissa was, you know, at that time, you know, what she was thinking. You know, when I started working here again in 2005, one of the largest projects that was put in front of our office at that time, it was development of a marching hundred hall. It was something that was not only needed, but wanted by a very passionate and loyal group. We've been so fortunate with the capital we received either through the, the grant from the, the Lilly Endowment that established the studio building, the extension of the Musical Arts Center. I mean, there are serious capital, the, the Joshi Recording Studio, which is one of our students' favorite things when we ask them every year, what are some of your favorite Jacob's treasures? The students always come back with, like, number one is the Joshi Recording Studio. That's so wonderful. But one of the things that really touched me was the response at the dedication for the Ray E. Kramer Marching Hundred Hall. Because that group wanted, yearned for, desired that space for so long. I was so happy for those people. And I think that that's part of the thing when you work for not just a nonprofit, but you work for a university. Really about the people. The people make this place. The students make this place. The faculty make this place. And they were all like-minded there really was this sort of collective effervescence to that moment. Everybody felt the same thing and it was incredible Mm -hmm. and nobody could put it into words and I was witnessing it. What brief words of wisdom could you impart to a new Jacobs staff member just as they are entering their position this academic year? I would say enjoy every minute of it, Um, soak it all in and don't be afraid to ask questions. The university is a huge universe and no one could possibly know all the answers. Teresa? Stay flexible. With Jacobs, um, as many of us know, you can't stick to a rigid schedule, you know, as much as it would love to be done, but flexibility is key in Jacobs. Great. Melissa? Being transparent. I need help, right? or I've got this, or I can help you, like, just be transparent. The thing that I love, the thing I think that all of us love the most about this place is that there really is this can-do attitude, and I want to help you, right? The faculty want the students to be successful. 
the staff want the faculty and students to be successful, right? Like there, and there's reciprocity in any number of those relationships. So recognize that as truth and then own your responsibility in that dynamic. The other thing too, it's rarefied air that we breathe here at the Jacobs School. You know, like there are treasures in every office and then there are, I guess, glorious gemstones being polished at this very moment. So be mindful of the rarefied air that you breathe. You're going to leave each and every day with a story, one that's going to be so valuable to share with somebody else. So I guess slow down. It's pretty great. Wiser words, ne'er spoken. Now for the fun part. We're going to wrap things up with a little lightning round game. And we're going to start with Melissa. So I'm going to ask very brief questions, and I want you all to fire out just the first thing that pops into your head. Melissa, loud or soft? Soft. Jennifer, fast or slow? Slow. Teresa, high or low? Low. Melissa, favorite composer? Brahms. Jennifer, favorite instrument or voice type? Piano. Teresa, favorite ballet? Nutcracker. And I'm so glad that we're ending with Mel on this. Musical celebrity crush. Oh, it is well known at this school. But I have a major crush on Jacobs School of Music alum, Chris Bodie. Chris, if you're listening, you don't know, I hope to see you soon. I won't be able to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melissa Dixon, Jennifer Nab, and Teresa Price, thank you so much for kicking off our series, Reminiscing in Time, with such class and flair and personality. Jennifer, we miss you so much. Melissa and Teresa, I'll see you at some point today, I'm sure. Have a great fall. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And that's our show. For Reminiscing in Time, I'm John Christopher Porter. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. Wear your masks and be safe. Our theme music, Danabar, is by Luke Gillespie and performed by the composer and members of the IU Jazz Studies faculty on the album Moving Mists from Patois Records. The Reminiscing in Time podcast is produced by the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music. Find us on Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, or music.indiana.edu.